the study we're going to have today, and it's one that we've studied before you know, in times past, and that is um, from a, the study of Christianity from a philosophical standpoint that we've been studying for a number of weeks on Genesis and the theory of organic evolution and looking at the evidences uh, as it favors or opposes creation and organic evolution. And in fact, after the study here tonight, we're going to have uh, see another film uh, on the study of organic evolution. And tonight we're going from the philosophical standpoint and examining one of the arguments that have been presented through the years against belief in God and against Christianity by atheists. Uh, two books, and of course the Bible's always our main source, but these are written by Christians and they're very good on the subject. Uh, Thomas Warren, uh, his doctor's degree in philosophy from Vanderbilt University, and the title of the book has, is Have Atheists Proved There Is No God? He did his doctor's dissertation on it, and in this he examined the argument that we're looking at tonight. Also another one, uh, S.I. McMillan, uh, he's a doctor, author of the book None of These Diseases, uh, this has been revised by a son-in-law who's a doctor. Uh, this is the book that Mark gave me just a few weeks ago, and I've read it in the past couple of weeks, and it, it's excellent, Mark. It's, uh, it definitely has you know, some up-to-date improvements over the last. But these two books, uh, I think if you're interested at all in the discussion as we get into it, uh, these two books I think you'll find they're both by very strong believers, and the material's very good. None of These Diseases by S.I. McMillan and have atheists prove there is no God by Thomas Warren. All right, the subject is, uh, is one of belief in God uh, from within a framework that we have evil and a lot of very unpleasant things uh, in our world. Uh, the atheists would pose the question this way, that if God is all good, where did evil come from? If God is all powerful, why don't he destroy evil? Uh, if God is there, why does he just constantly allow evil to take place? This would recognize uh, not just evil that is brought about through sin, but the fact that a lot of innocent people suffer. That we live in a world where every day of the week there are thousands of seemingly innocent people who suffer in many ways. There are thousands of of babies that have been born who have committed no sin of their own whatsoever and who die of starvation and other diseases. There are babies that are born deformed, babies that are born with AIDS and other diseases. And, and again, the, the question is, if God is all good, if he's really there, if he's all powerful, uh, even you and I in our finiteness, uh, we're touched by um, babies and innocent people who suffer in various ways, and we would do something about it if we could. Uh, the only thing that stops us uh, from doing something about it is our own limitations. And so if God is, is really um, there and he's an infinite, all-powerful being, and he's as compassionate as we say he is, then how can he allow innocent people to suffer so regularly on this earth? How can he allow all the starvation, the famine that is going on right now? Also, uh, why have an earth that is constructed in such a way that it has earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes, uh, and any number of uh, calamities. We have floods. We don't always get our rains at the proper time. Sometimes we go for long periods uh, without rain. At other times, we have more rain than we need. And every year, there are people that die because of floods. There are diseases because of floods. 
And there are people that die and there are diseases because of earthquakes. There are people that die and there are diseases because of hurricanes. There are people that die because of tornadoes. And many times, uh, some of the people that die in these calamities are individuals who have very strong belief in God and who pray to him and, and by evidence from their life uh, live in keeping with these certain principles that are designated in the Bible as, as being right. And so uh, the question, if God is all evil, all good, I should say, uh, where does evil originate? Uh, and I mean, after all, if we're made in the image of God and God is all good, and then if God is all powerful, why don't he do something about it? Uh, First, before we uh, look at it, we might say that whatever decision we see here, whatever information, does not in any way negate uh, the evidence that we've already studied. And that, that is something to keep in mind. When somebody poses this question to you, and this is an interesting question. It's one that deserves an answer. It, it's an honest question. It's, it's one that, personally, I don't see how any thinking person could not have in their mind at any time in life. But something to keep in mind any time you examine any question that's new to you is that if you have faith in God based on evidence that you have examined with your intelligence, that evidence doesn't get up and walk away in light of a question that, that, has, that you now are thinking about. Uh, for example, when we studied the resurrection of Jesus, we came to the conclusion that our belief in the resurrection of Jesus is based on historical evidence that is of such a nature that Irvin Linton in his book, A Lawyer Examines the Bible, would make the observation that no event in all of history has been so substantiated by a variety of quality evidence as the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Well, that's still there. It's, it, it's still a fact. Uh, uh, Thirteen men, the, the twelve original apostles and Paul, went to their death proclaiming their eyewitness account of his resurrection. Their testimonies are still there, and, and they coincide with one another, and they complement one another. All those hundreds of prophecies that were written before Jesus was even born and so perfectly fulfilled, they're still there. And, 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 that, and that evidence stands. Um, the evidence for God that is so conclusive that Paul said that man is without excuse in not believing in God, that the invisible God is declared by the things that are. Uh, David recognized this in Psalms 19 when he said the heavens are declaring the glory of God that permit his handiwork, that he, he looked out at this universe, our solar system, the galaxies, the universe, and his only conclusion is that the fool has said there is no origin to this, uh, that, that something this complex and this magnificent and this immense uh, could come from absolute nothing and just pop into existence. This was Paul's conclusion also. So I'm saying that evidence is there, and when you're talking with anybody, and they pose this particular question, uh, you need to bring this to their attention. That evidence is there, and, and that's why you are a believer, even if there's some questions you don't understand. Uh, for example, if somebody can pose something that you don't fully understand about the way God does something, that does not in any way negate the evidence for God's existence, the evidence for the inspiration of the Bible, the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. That's there. Uh, the best they can do is pose something that maybe you don't understand. And that's maybe comparable to somebody giving me a math problem that I cannot work, but that doesn't prove that a, a mathematician uh, can't work that same problem that might baffle me. Okay, let's look then at, at the question itself. And since it's been posed as an evidence against belief uh, in God, and since our belief in Jesus and God and all is based on, a, on the Bible, which itself stands in evidence, 
then we'll go and look at just the way the Bible addresses uh, the question itself as to the origin of evil and as to why things are this way. And the first place I'd like to refer you to is Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, when he describes the putting of man here in the way that uh, we find him at this present time. Notice in the uh, first chapter, after everything that God accomplished, the statement that it was good. Uh, Genesis 1-4, God saw the light was good. And you end the first day on verse 5. And uh, the next time we find that uh, statement in verse uh, uh, 10, God saw that it was good. Okay, and we're in the second day. And then in the third day, uh, verse 12, God saw that it was good. And then in verse 18, God saw that it was good. And then in verse 21, God saw that it was good. And then in verse 25, God saw that it was good. And then in verse uh, 31, after man made in the image of God, God saw that it was very good. And then we have the sixth day. The Bible starts off giving us a picture that every single solitary thing that God did was good. And that there was no imperfections there. And not only that, the picture we have in the first part of Genesis is that when that death was not a part of God's plan for man. Uh, man was made to live forever. He was made to live forever in paradise. In fact, the word Garden of Eden, Eden our word paradise is really a Persian word that has reference to the Garden of Eden. Uh, when Jesus used the term, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise, uh, he was using that word depicting the Garden of Eden that over a period of time had come to symbolize the abode with God. And, but it, went, it gave credits to the fact that man's best experience on this earth was right there in the Garden. So from the biblical standpoint, that God did everything good, there was no disease, there was no problems, man was designed to live forever. Okay, now, turn over to uh, James, the first chapter, after we just, uh, while you're turning, I'll allude to what we all know happened. The Bible then states in the uh, third chapter that uh, Adam and Eve sinned against God that uh, Adam and Eve broke the relationship with God. The word death comes from the Greek word thanatos that simply means separation. And, and that's the, the entire meaning of the word, just simply separation. And so Adam and Eve then, the Bible records, separated themselves from a certain relationship that they had with God that was very personal as a result of their sin. And they, they disobeyed God. All right, now, Notice this passage here in, in James 1, and beginning with verse uh, 13. Uh, let me start uh, over here with you, Chuck. Read that 13 through uh, uh, 18. And then, uh, let's see, uh, then 19 through 25, Jack. Would you take that? When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after the, the, the 
then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness, righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in your you which can serve you, save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Okay, now notice at first, everything God creates is said to be good. No imperfections. It's good. Man uh, sins. Uh, he breaks the relationship with God. The word sin comes from the word, Greek word amateria. This simply means missing the mark. And so God had a mark for man, a right way. Man deviated from that right way. As a result, he separated himself from God. All right, James uh, makes a statement here, beginning in verse uh, 13, that even when we're tempted, don't let any man stand up and say, God's tempting me. God doesn't tempt any one of us. Uh, he says, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone. The only way that we can be tempted is by our own desire. And then as a result of our own desires, we can be dragged away and enticed. And then that desire gives birth to sin. And when it's full grown, it brings forth death. And it says, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. In other words, God is the author of only those things that are good. And that's it. According to the Bible, he is the author of only those things that are good, that evil and bad comes into the human family as a result of man exercising his free choice. All right, then notice as we continue 19 through 25, he makes a statement that God's law is perfect. But he says, don't just look at the law and, and then not do it but do what it says, and he says, if you do what it says, you'll be blessed in, your do in what you're doing. In verse 25, the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Uh, in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 29, Solomon made the observation that God made man upright, but man has sought out many inventions. It was Solomon's observation, finally, after living his life, after making every mistake a man could make, and after suffering a multitude of consequences, Solomon's conclusion was that all the problems in life were because of sin, and that God's law is perfect, and the best that man could do was to submit to God's law. All right, now, the question becomes then, uh, can we prove that God's law is absolutely perfect? And that if man, in other words, uh, and by the way, if you could prove it's perfect, that in itself is pretty good evidence of the source that would be behind it. If it's perfect law, then it's going to have to have a perfect source behind it. And can we prove that it is perfect in an objective way by listening to evidence? Can we actually look at uh, 
humanity. The Bible says that we ought to be able to look at the human race and look at this earth and that we ought to be able to discern and see that all the things that we call bad and evil come about because of sin and that it is not the will of God that any bad thing come about. Sometimes, in fact, I think Christians uh, misrepresent God. Uh, some, some innocent person may be run over by a drunk that's in your family and, and, and then we accept it by saying, well, obviously it was the will of God. Well, I don't know about that in saying that it was the will of God that, that some drunk run over somebody. I think that makes God look pretty bad. Or here is a baby that's born with AIDS and, and the explanation many times, well, obviously it's the will of God. There must be something we can learn from this. Well, I grant you there's something we can learn from that. But the question is, is it fair to God to look at a baby that has AIDS and say it's the will of God? Or if I come down with cancer, should I just sit back and say, obviously it's the will of God? Well, is that? Is that really fair? Am I representing God in a right way when I said it's will? Now, what I think we'll see is that things can be the will of God in the sense that God permits. And, and the Bible teaches that God created us as free moral agents with free choice. And God permits us to exercise free choice. And then, having exercised that choice, it's God's decision to allow us to suffer either the benefit or the consequence of that choice. And it is by the reaping the benefits or the consequence of that choice that we actually prove that God's way is right in the first place. Now, <clears throat> pardon me, let's look at just a, a few things that we, can, that we can see. And one verse to go to, I think, that's good in Exodus 15 and verse 26. Uh, look, none of these diseases was based on this particular passage. Exodus 15 and verse 26. <laughs> See, Brian, would you read that, please? He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Okay, now look at that statement he, he made to the Jews. They were not the Jews at this time, the Israelites. They didn't give the name Jew yet. But as the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt, they'd been in slavery all those years, the Egyptians had a multitude of disease. Uh, the number one killer, by the way, was lockjaw. That was the number one killer back then. From the, We get this from the records that we read. Their number one killer was uh, lockjaw. And uh, the probably the most unsafe thing you could do was to go to one of their doctors. They died of an absolute multitude of weird diseases. Their lifespan was very short at this particular time. And God tells the Israelites that, listen, it doesn't have to be this way. That if you will obey, obey me that these diseases that the Egyptians have, you won't have a problem with. You'll live in the same world, but you won't have a problem. All right, let's look at this, and we'll note any number of areas. From a moral standpoint, let's forget right here. We're going to get back to that, but let's start with something that is recent with us so we can uh, get a grasp on what we're dealing with. The scourge of our society today is AIDS. You know, we don't know how many millions have already been infected. All kinds of people are dying, and, and we say that man, innocent people are dying, and so it is one of the terrible diseases of our time. If you were to go back to the Middle Ages, uh, what AIDS is doing now 
uh, syphilis and gonorrhea did back then. And before that, it was leprosy. So AIDS isn't doing anything now that syphilis and gonorrhea didn't do in the Middle Ages. In fact, up until penicillin, uh, syphilis and gonorrhea was doing it. And if we go back before that, leprosy was something that was just wiping people out. There have always been plagues and diseases that man has had to deal with. All right, let's look at AIDS. When we study AIDS, we find, number one, the AIDS virus is found within, in the green monkey in Africa. And it, it lives within that particular animal. And we find that natives of that area, through the practice of beastology, brought it into the human family. All right, when we look at the law given in the Old Testament, we find that beastology was a practice that was forbidden. It was a practice that the pagans engaged in. In fact, that all people through history that we can read about have practiced beastology at various times, and the Jews were absolutely unique among the people of the world in that they had a command that permitted. Okay? So AIDS comes into the human family as, as, as a result of the practice of beastology. Number two, <clears throat> rich homosexuals from the United States and other areas, primarily, I think, the United States, take their vacation in Caribbean islands and Africa and other places, and in poor areas, such as this place in Africa, our wealthy homosexuals go over there, and for money, young males will prostitute themselves to homosexuals in this country and other places. And so homosexuals and homosexuality is a practice that is condemned in the Bible. Uh, the Old Testament gave it the death penalty. For a man to lie with a man as with a woman, or a woman to lie with a woman, got the death penalty under the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul said it is a perversion. Well, people today argue with that as being a strong word when you say it's a perversion. But the question is, what is the definition of pervert or perversion? If you perverse something, you use it in a way that is contrary to its natural, natural function. Well, any biologist who's not a Christian will tell you that the male and the female are designed for one another. That a male is not designed for a male, and a female is not designed for a female. That the male and female bodies are designed perfectly for one another. So therefore, if they're designed for one another, and then we have females having relations with males, and we have perverted a natural relationship. Well, Paul, in Romans 2, says this comes about as a result of people of a reprobate mind who first of all have turned away from God. And having turned away from God, and having turned away from God's laws, and that's what they do and turn away from God, he said they have become so reprobate in their thinking that men lust after men and women lust after women. So let's get back to AIDS. We get it into the human family through the practice of beastology that's condemned. Next, through the practice of homosexuality, our homosexuals, through money, buy these young people who will prostitute themselves to it, and they pick up the AIDS virus, and they come to the United States, and they go to other countries. And then through the practice of homosexuality, uh, in the book None of These Diseases, he has a very good section here on homosexuality. It's, it's almost a sin in our society to speak of it in a negative way. The average homosexual does not know what a monogamous relationship is. Uh, he might have uh, uh, 60 or 70 different uh, relations going in one year's time. Over a lifetime, a homosexual may have sexual contact with over 500 different people. Uh, these people go to bathhouses where they have relations in an orgy-type fa fashion with any number of different people. They're constantly on the mech. 
Uh, anybody that's ever been in the military or walked the streets in a big city, any male, has been propositioned by a homosexual. I mean, my first contact with them, I didn't even know what they were talking about, was, was in a city where, where, where they made a pass at me, in fact, in Washington, D.C., when I was in the Marine Corps in the, in the 60s. Uh, I don't believe a single male could have walked the street and not have a homosexual pull up next and make a pass at them. These people are very, very permissive and sexually active uh, in, in their function. Okay, because they are that active and because they have so many con contacts, then the AIDS virus, once it got into the, among the homosexuals, spread like fire. It just went. And so before that they even realized what was, was happening, it went through thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Well, then the homosexuals give blood into our blood supply. So then it gets in and innocent people can be affected. The homosex, many of your homosexuals are bisexuals. And so they have relations with men who are married who in turn infect their wives, who in turn affect their children. And so now we have something that although it came about through the practice of beastology and then homosexuality, is going by leaps and bounds through the human family. All right, now, God didn't in some mysterious way visit this on the human family. But God gave us directions about our sexuality. God's our creator. Uh, the, the people that made my car gave me a little book that goes with it. They told me to use a certain grade oil. They tell me to use certain type of gas. It tells me when to change the oil and when to change the oil filter. It tells me when to lubricate my other things. It tells me how often I ought to go in for a checkup. And the warranty that they put on that product is valueless unless I follow their directions. You buy anything that has a warranty to it and you do not follow the directions and see if they'll back up the warranty. They simply don't. That comes with the agreement that you follow the directions. All right? God's laws are his directions. And, and there are not a lot of rules designed to take all the fun out of life. They're, they're given in the vein of a father or a mother who's warning their child not to play in the street. They're not trying to restrict that child's freedom. They're trying to save his life. Or, try, or telling a child not to play with a snake. You're trying to save that child's life, not to not restrict his freedom in any beneficial way. Okay, so AIDS is a scourge. It gets here through directly obeying commands that we find in the Bible. Up until about 1920, somewhere in that realm, when they started to put... Uh, uh, what is it they put in baby's eyes when they're born? Silver nitrate uh, in baby's eyes when they're born. About 90% of all blindness was caused by babies born to mothers with syphilis. Uh, this has been a scourge through the ages. Uh, syphilis was something that could manifest itself. Then it would go away and lie dormant within the human body for 15 to 20 years. Then it would manifest itself, and it was too late. And through that period of time, a person that had it could infect any number of people. Through the years, millions and millions of people have died because of syphilis. Uh, read about some of the, uh, the uh, leaders who had the uh, countries in the past, these kings who had the power that they could have anything they wanted, and most of them were very sexually permissive. Most of them had diseases sexually, and they died of those sexual diseases. The vast majority, some of the, some of the meanness and the ungodliness of these people was brought about by the diseases that they had through their sin and they, they simply became mean and corrupt and bitter in their life because of having these diseases. So we look at how many problems in the human family through AIDS, through syphilis, through gonorrhea, and all brought about by a perversion 
of God's law. Okay, now, in this statement here about uh, obey me and I will not lay these diseases on you, leprosy can literally be wiped out through cleanliness. And so the Jews were the cleanest people on the face of the earth. Uh, they were taught to constantly bathe, to bathe in running water. We know now that water purifies itself in running. Uh, the Jews were the first people we have record of to practice quarantine when a person had a disease or an issue, pardon me, issue in their body in some way. They separated them, and the priest went out and would inspect them, and they were not permitted among others until they were pronounced clean. And so the, the Jews, therefore, did not come down with these plagues that literally wiped out an entire society. They followed God's direction on that. By simply being clean, you wipe out a multitude of diseases. I mean, it's amazing how many diseases that we have that's a result of pure filth. Uh, you, you do not hear of leprosy, almost do not hear of it in the United States because of our emphasis on cleanliness. The only place that leprosy is a problem is in parts of the world where cleanliness is not stressed. And there are any number of other problems that people have simply through filth, and they would not have if they kept themselves clean. So we can look, we can see all those problems. All right, now, Let's look at uh, starvation, and, and, and we, we think about all the people that are starving in the world that we live in now. Did any of you see the news the other night on Ethiopia? You, they're, they're getting ready for another big uh, uh, thing where thousands and thousands of people are starving death. Well, are those people in Ethiopia starving because of a lack of food? They're not, are they? The, the food's over there stacked sky high, and, and we've sent it over there. The food is there. The people are starving because of politics. And I'm, I'm telling you that in the world today, nobody is starving because of insufficient food. People starve because of politics and the decisions that people make. In India, India is a poor country. And there are people that are starving that are on the borderline to, to starvation all the time in that country. In India, as a result of their religious service, there are parts of India where they will not kill a rat, they will not kill a snake, they will starve to death with a cow walking around eating up their garden and walking all through their garden and they'll sit there and starve to death. The people in India are poor and they're starving for one reason, and that's ignorance. That's pure, absolute ignorance. There is absolutely no reason for anybody to be starving to death in the world. Any, anywhere that you have a place that's not raining, we never have a time when it's not raining all over the whole earth. When we say we've got a drought, we need a localized area. And so, and then God tells us to share. We, we know what happened to the, to the saints in Jerusalem when there was a need there, and he told the other Christians in other places to send to them. And so the fact that you could have a need in one area, from God's standpoint, might be a way of actually promoting goodwill between the people as one meets the need of the other. But you never have a situation in the earth where you have a drought over the entire earth. We, when we had our drought for three years here in the southeast, there were other places in the world that were getting plenty of rain. So there is, there is not, nor has there ever been, any need for anybody to starve to death here on this earth. Uh, they starve because of politics or ignorance. And, and the same is true with many of the diseases. <laughs> okay, now, let's look at some of our other diseases. We think of cancer, you know, as, as a, one of our big diseases. But what's the number one cause of cancer? Smoking. Smoking. Number one cause of cancer. Uh, lung cancer was something that women almost did not have a few years back. It was strictly a man's disease because men were the ones that smoked. Uh, lung cancer, at the rate it's going right now, this is in the book, None of These Diseases, 
will in a very short time overtake breast cancer as the number one cancer among females. And there's several reasons here. Not only are more and more ladies smoking, but the female body does not handle the effects of either smoking or drinking as well as the male body does. And one simple reason is the female body is generally not as big as the male on the average. And for whatever other reasons, the female body simply doesn't handle negative things like smoking and drinking as, as easy as the, as the male body does. They have a thing on TV, this was 60 Minutes of 2020, one of those programs a few weeks back, and they pointed out how much easier it was for a woman to become an alcoholic than a man. And it said it took about one-third as much to make the typical woman drunk as it did for a man. And there's more involved there than, than just the size, just the, the hormones themselves play, played a part. So we look at all the cancer that we have and we say, well, what happens to cancer if we quit smoking? Well, smoking then is one big cause of cancer. Now they're telling us that our diet is a big cause, uh, that when we went to eating refined flour and got away from uh, the uh, fiber in food, that our food did not move through our system at a proper speed and a proper rate, the fiber was not there to absorb the impurities, and the end result that cancer of the colon became a problem. Cancer of the colon is not a problem with many people in the world today. Another problem we have is hypertension and high blood pressure in our society. But there are some societies that know no high blood pressure. There are some societies where people live and live through their lives and never have high blood pressure. It's, it's, it has to do with the diet and certain things within, within the environment itself. Another problem, when I lived in New Jersey, the newspapers up there referred to the place where we lived as, as Cancer Alley. Uh, one of the reasons I left New Jersey at that time is because we had six small children and we were concerned about bringing them up in, in that polluted atmosphere and knowing what was in the air and what was in the ground and what was in the water and so that was one of our reasons for wanting to move away from that. But we know that we're putting all kinds of material into our air, we're putting all kinds of material into our water that causes cancer. Alright, then the question becomes, what if we didn't smoke? What if we didn't drink? What if we didn't do the drugs? What if we ate the right diet? What if we didn't pollute our air and pollute our water? Where would cancer go? On a percentage basis, I'm not saying we're not going to have cancer. We're going to deal, deal with that. But I'm saying on a percentage basis, well, the sources that I've read from say that well over 50% could be done away with. It, that, that's with that over 50% of it is within our control. Uh, over 50% of heart problems are within our control. Now, we're still going to die. I don't want to leave that in, any wrong impression. But we're, we're going to die because of our own doing there. We've sinned. And we've separated ourselves from God. And when you think of the death of the body, one of the best illustrations I've seen on it was the guy used a, an electric fan that as long as the fan is plugged into the electricity, it's circulating. You unplug it, and it doesn't immediately stop. It already has a certain amount of uh, energy that's built up and so it will continue to go and gradually wind down. Man has separated himself from God. Uh, the first and second law of thermodynamics teach that everything on this earth is wearing out. Uh, everything in our system is wearing out. Uh, the, the earth and the solar system is like a clock that's been wound up. It's in the process of, of wearing down. Uh, we're, we're going, we're, we have a less magnetic field now than we did some years back. Our sun's a little smaller now than it was some years back. And it, and it will gradually reach the point where over X amount of years, the sun will burn out. Uh, so it is with the, the effect of the relationship between the planets and all, that everything is wearing out, and over a period of time, 
uh, whether it will all, whether the masses will finally get close enough that the, that the gravitational field will pull it all together, uh, whatever will happen, we don't know. We do know that, that all scientists tell us that it's a fact that the thing is wearing out. So it is with our body, that we reach a peak about 21 years of age, 21 to 25, and then from that point on, it's all downhill, and scientists do not understand why that we begin to deteriorate, but we do. Uh, we, we, we can understand some reasons. Uh, we, we know the effect of radiation from the sun as we take it in over a period of time. We know how it can affect our lifespan. But the point is that, that we, we get going and, and we begin to die. So the Bible teaches that we have separated ourselves from God as a result of sin. It offers a way back. That's not the purpose of our study tonight. We've got, we've got our time full with this. Suffice it to say that when we talk about some of these things that we mentioned that are evil, invariably, a multitude of times, we can see that the culprit is man. That God has given us a law that will work. Okay, now let's look at our own society. We've, we've, got, a, we've got a deficit that'll scare you half to death. I can't even think, my mind will not even think in terms of the trillions that they talk about. It just simply will not deal with it. I can't, I can't visualize it in my mind. So we've got this big deficit. We've got all kinds of things we'd like to do, but they keep reminding us we've got the deficit there. And then we've got the, all the problems all over the world. But let's look at the world. Where does the biggest part of our money go in our country? Anybody want to take a shot at it? Um, Pardon? Military? Military. Uh, uh, yes, biggest part of our budget is to the military. By the way, I'm not for doing away from the military. As long as, uh, if, if I'm playing football and everybody else has got a helmet on, I'm going to wear a helmet. As long as the rest of the world's got guns, they're going to have to have guns here too. I'm not for doing away with the policemen. I'm glad we got that sheriff out there. Uh, God says that, that the civil governments have been ordained, that they're, they're there to defend the rights of people and all. But the point is, what if there was no sin? Right now, the, the latest data I had on this, I wish I had a more up-to-date figure on this, 19... 70, the world was spending $200 billion a year in real money on, uh, on national, that is $1970, by the way. In 1970, our world was spending an estimated $200 billion a year on military. All right, $200 billion in 1970, it, just the inflation would, would put it up to four to $500 billion. But then, after the Reagan buildup in this country, what happened in the communist countries and all, it, it's far beyond that. So, our riches, uh, growing uh, areas, have been created by floods. Uh, and rich growing areas all over the world have been created by floods. Uh, our, our, our earth literally renews itself uh, through floods and through volcanoes. Uh, Hurricanes have a part to play. Uh, the, the strong winds that blow, all of these things that we think of as negative, they actually, when we look at the earth as a whole, are playing a very positive part. All right, now let's look at man. He's here, the earth has been created in certain ways. Hurricane Hugo wiped out all kinds of homes right down there on the coast. But when those people built their houses on the coast, did they know about hurricanes? When somebody builds his house right there on the, on the ocean where the tides come in, doesn't he know about hurricanes and strong winds that come in? Who twisted anybody's arm in the name of God and caused them to build their house? They wanted a good look at the ocean. 
And so if you want to compare them to the man that, that wanted a good view and just went too far looking over the cliff and fell. But the, the people that build their houses on the shores don't have to do it, whether it's me or anybody else. We have the decision, all right? When the hurricane was coming, who twisted their arm and made them stay there? Nobody. When they were building their structures, why didn't they build them stronger? They wanted to spend their money on other things, VCRs, TVs, nice cars, etc. Uh, when they had the earthquake up in San Francisco, the, the bridge where most people were, were killed, what did they find out? If it was built in keeping with the information they had, it wouldn't be anybody died on the bridge. Do we know how to build houses and buildings now that can withstand the shaking of the earth? And yes, we do. Do we know how to stop pollution? Yes, we do. The question is, do we want to pay more money to do these things and not have as many gadgets and clothes and things of that nature? But we have the knowledge and the wherewithal to handle that. So what about people who uh, live around volcanoes? Do they understand volcanoes? Do they go off every now and then? They do. So I'm saying there's no need for anybody to be killed with a volcano. There's no need for anybody to be killed with a hurricane. We, we understand those things. And so the, the natural calamities of life itself, we have God-given intelligence. We can, just, as, just as we can look at a line and know that we need to keep our distance or keep him behind bars, that we can also look at hurricanes and things of that nature, and, and we can make decisions there. And so I'm saying that most of the time, even when it comes to natural calamities, man jeopardizes himself. Uh, right now, people by the millions are flocking to California to live right along an area where they say a, uh, an earthquake is guaranteed to happen. Well, when this latest hurricane ha uh, earthquake happened up there, was anybody surprised? Was there anybody that said that, hey, I made the decision to live here, and I didn't know anything about the very high possibility of an earthquake? Well, there wasn't. Right now, in the state of Tennessee, the scientists say that there's going to be an earthquake in Memphis. There's literally going to, it's just a matter of when. But there's going to be an earthquake that takes place at Memphis. Well, they're already having drills. They're, they're passing codes about building their, their houses and things like that. But again, the truth is, you don't have to live in Memphis in the first place. Or if you live there, you can build and, and take those, those kinds of things into, into consideration. And you can any place else that you dwell. All right, suffice it to say, the so-called calamities that we call bad, from the standpoint of this physical and biological Earth, actually serve a function that's good, that scientists can show it, it is good. When it comes to you and I dealing with them, God has given us the intelligence to observe these things. Now, I'm not saying that we can perfectly avoid all of these things, but I'm saying most of the people that die in hurricanes don't have to. And most of the people that die because of earthquakes do not have to. And most of the people that die because of volcanoes do not have to. And most of the people that die because of lions or snakes don't have to. Now, we have 55,000 people on the average in the last 10 or so years killed on our highways. What's the number one killer? Drunk and driving. Okay. In our society, uh, we, we say we're fighting drugs. What, what is the number one? Uh, and we know that our the number one culprit on the highway is the young male between 17 and 24. He's our number one guy. He's also the most likely to be out there intoxicated. Well, what do young males like to watch? They like to watch sporting events. What's the number one advertiser on sporting events? 
alcohol. Not cocaine, alcohol. Well, why, why do the, these, the colleges who say that alcohol is their number one problem permit the alcohol people to advertise on their sporting events? Money. Money. Uh, they've cut it down from, uh, from uh, let's say, it's, it's been cut down from 90 seconds per hour, I believe, to 60 seconds per hour uh, on the ball games uh, now. I mean, they, they're in the process of cutting it down. But their statement is they can't cut it down any further than that because the money's too important. Well, can they still sell that time to somebody else? Yes, but not, for not quite as much as they can the booze. So what they're really saying is we will accept the deaths on the highway. We will accept alcoholism. We'll accept all the problems with drinking for the money that, that we can use on whatever we want. By the way, you can show that alcohol is cost ineffective, that it costs more to police up after it than you ever bring in because of it. But the point I'm making is that it's not fair to have death on the highway, even though it may be an innocent person that's killed, and say, well, that must be the will of God because it happened. It's not God's will that people get drunk and kill individuals on the highway. Now, what it is God's will to do is to allow us to suffer the consequence of sin in this life and to allow us to suffer the benefits from the law itself. And through the consequences of sin, people are motivated to re-examine their ways and make decisions to repent. And through the benefits that naturally come from the law, people learn that God's law is inherently right. And by inherently right, I mean that it, it's not right because God says so, but God says so because it's right. That it just, it just simply works. And this is the claim made for the Bible. Now, one, uh, okay, a few minutes, we'll wrap this up. A good <laughs> book to read in summation, if you had your hand up, the good book to read in summation is Job. Uh, you, you have the debate going. Uh, God points out to Satan what a righteous person Job is, and he boasts about him. Uh, Satan said, there's only one reason that Job serves you, and that's because you put a hedge around him. He said, let me touch him, and he'll curse you. Uh, God allowed Satan to touch Job, but not to take his life. The glory to God came when Job didn't curse God. All right, but notice now, the evil there wasn't caused by God. You say, well, why did God permit Satan to do what he did? The Bible reveals to us that the angels were created by God before man, and that man was created lower than the angels here on this earth. It also tells us that there was a time before man when angels rebelled against the will of God. Peter speaks of angels held in pits of darkness waiting for a judgment to come. So what the Bible gives us is the angels were created with free will just as we are. Some exercise that free will to rebel against God. All right, now notice we can say, why doesn't God just destroy Satan and the angels that rebel? But notice the, the argument is not over the strength of God. Uh, nobody, even Satan, is denying that God has all power. And so the argument's not about strength. If that was the case, God could just wipe out the evil angels and wipe out Satan. If that was the case on this earth, God could just wipe out all, all the Hitlers uh, himself in some mysterious way. But the argument is a moral argument. Is God's law inherently right? Or is it simply right because God has the power to back it up? Uh, is, it, is it right just because God has the biggest stick around? Or is it inherently right? 
And so we're a part of a great demonstration on this earth, demonstrating that God's law is inherently right. And as people repent of their own free will and begin to live in a way that's in keeping with God's law and reap all kinds of benefits and take negative things out of their life, they glorify God before even the angels that be and become evidence of the rightness of God's way. And although there's some pain through this great demonstration we're going through, God takes care of that in the sacrifice of Christ. He lived it perfectly, showing that, that God doesn't expect too much of us. I mean, for those of us that say that it's impossible to be perfect, Christ was. And he had emptied himself entirely, Paul said, and become as you and I, and yet he lived perfectly, he kept God's law, and then God offered him as a sacrifice for us. And while we benefit spiritually from the sacrifice and have the hope of eternal life, we will continue to suffer all the problems of sin in the physical body. It serves as a continual demonstration of the perfectness of God's law. You and I can benefit to the extent that we're willing to follow his law in any part of our life. We'll suffer consequences to the extent that we don't. We'll also have problems to the extent that other people don't in this life. Okay. Do you think that sometimes that the, the things like almost flames, tornadoes, and things in places where people don't know they're going to touch down too? I'm saying, you, and of course you're aware of that. That's that, right. wasn't, that wasn't your point. You're just saying that a, a, we could spare ourselves a lot of it. It's like cancer. As your body ages, you're more subject to cancer because the immune system is aging too. But death itself and the aging process came about because of sin. And that and was brought in. So I'm saying that it ultimately all evil is because of sin. But then uh, there are a lot of things within this few years that we operate with here. Most of the problems we have are, are because of our sin. And the other goes back to the sin that separated us from God in the beginning, you know, and brought, brought the other things. Don't you think that, that sometimes that could be, uh, tornadoes and those kinds of things, could be a form of discipline from God, and that we just, we don't know when that is the case and when it's not, and I think sometimes we put too much emphasis on the here and now, the physical, when in reality, real life is spiritual, and and we just, we think so much in physical instead of the part of us that reasons and thinks, and if we did that, we wouldn't be so concerned about this innocent baby because it's going to live eternally with God. That's, that's not near the big thing when you put it in right. perspective. When we look at it and, and we say God is allowing innocent people to suffer, keep in mind it's because of sin, not because of God. But then, like you said, God's looking at that baby different than we are. But from God's or even standpoint, us. Right. right. And even us, one with God, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. We're all going to die. The only question is when. Right. And, so and the important thing, and, right, and a good statement that Jesus made when he said, uh, fear not the person who can destroy the body, but he, fear him who can destroy both body and soul. Right. And so from, that's why that God would permit even his own people to be killed because of sinners. It was not God's will that somebody cut Paul's head off, but it was God's will to allow their sin to do it. Paul knew where he was going. He knew who he believed, and he knew that he had eternal life. And in that death, he sealed his testimony and made it more valuable for future generations. And I think what you said about discipline is true, that we are disciplined by the consequences of our mistakes. And so although they're unpleasant, they're good from that standpoint. And, and for mankind in general, whether it's a tornado or whatever, a lot of times it makes mankind think of a higher power. I think, right, I think the, just as David was all by the heavens, that when we get to feeling so smart 
sort of like the Tower of Babel, and we build our big fantastic buildings, and then just to realize that the earth can shake a little bit and the thing falls down, that it puts it, it, it gives everything proper perspective. Um, on that thing about Christ being a sacrifice for everyone, and that these people in India are dying because of ignorance, you know, and you said that well, God looks at things differently than we do, and since Jesus' sacrifice was once for all, what happens to those that are ignorant? Okay. I, mean, I know we can't answer that question conclusively, but it just, you know, these people that, that may never hear of Jesus, you know, they, 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 you know, I can't say that somebody in India is going to hear about Jesus, but I can't say that they won't. Okay, first so. of all, let me say this. There is, when the gospel went out, remember the statement in Acts 17. It says, in times of ignorance, God winked at that there was a time when God winked over many of the ignorances of the Gentiles because the revelation was limited to the Jewish people. And so the Gentile, Paul said, was held accountable to his own conscience, Romans 2, 14 through 16. Those things that he could ascertain and figure out even of his own mind and conscience, and that's all he would give account for. But then he says, now, you know, this information has went out to all. Number one, there is no place on the earth where the message is not proclaimed, all right? But it's proclaimed even in the first century. Everybody didn't hear it, even in Palestine. Every Jew, every single solitary Jew did not hear it. But the statement is made to seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened, ask and ye shall receive. Everyone that seeks finds, everyone that knocks it shall be opened, everyone that asks it shall be received. God has purposely limited himself to those people, Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst at the righteousness. To those people that are seeking what is right. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't surprise anybody in heaven when he obeyed the gospel. Uh, God sent Philip out there because he knew he was going to obey. Paul didn't surprise God when he, when he made the decision to obey the gospel. God knew that what he was doing was in ignorance and unbelief. And as soon as he came to grips with it and with all the evidence and all, that, that he would respond. So... First of all, we'd have to say that God purposely has limited himself to those that are seeking. In our own churches in this country, how many are there because they really love God and they're, they're seeking after what's right, and how many of them just happen to be born into a family and it's a traditional thing? You see, I don't think we've got as many Christians as we say we have in this country. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to believe. Two-thirds two of our country is supposed to be Christian, and yet we're one of the most ungodly countries on the face of the earth. You're safer in Moscow than you are in New York City or Los Angeles. And, and the perversion, the pornography, the, the homosexuality, the lying, the stealing, the looting is rampage in our country. And yet 95% of us claim belief in God and, and two-thirds say we believe in Jesus. So I'm saying that, that in reality, there may be as many Christians in India as there are in the United States. I don't know. But going back to your, I mean, now that this world is like, you know, everybody's attached. There's so much uh, communication and everybody knows about it. But back, like, go back 60 years uh, go suppose I give an example in China that uh, they didn't have any uh, contact with the, the outer world. Uh, I mean, my mind doesn't. Uh, maybe I can't think that. How can people? I mean, a person from there is gonna learn about God, or you know, how how is he? How can he understand about God and go by his all these laws? Okay, now, first of all, all right, let's look at just those two concepts, God and the law, because you won't learn about Christ in the way you're mentioning. But the Bible teaches that, that uh, when Paul makes a statement that man is without excuse and not believing in God, it, through his reasoning process of knowing that something doesn't come from nothing, that for every effect there's a cause, that, that every effect has a cause that is equal to or greater than the effect itself, and that... Uh, 
that I'm saying that that's why that, that as we go back through history, we never find a society but that they believe in God. They believe in a supreme being. And most of the Chinese believe in a supreme being. Uh, the so-called atheists in Russia and China make up about 6% of the population. But the vast, they believe in a supreme being based on, based on their, their observation of those same facts of, that David observed and Paul, Paul mentioned. All right, now, about the law. The law is put forth as inherently right. And, and Paul said in, in, Galatia, in uh, Romans 2, 14 through 16, that the Gentile who did not have the law in and of his own nature came to understand the things of the law and would be judged by his own conscience. Uh, you, your conscience, that sense of all, is that part of you that's made in the image of God. And we're the only beings in the, in the universe that have it, this, this sense of awe within us. Anytime we perceive something as being wrong, we cannot do it and not suffer the condemnation of our own conscience. And that is guilt. So everybody everywhere experiences guilt, and you wouldn't experience it if your conscience didn't get on your case. Okay? If you can perceive that you don't want anybody killing you, then you cannot murder anybody in good conscience. If you don't want anybody stealing from you, you can't steal from anybody in good conscience. Uh, if you don't want anybody uh, hurting you in some way, then you can't do that in good conscience. If you don't want anybody lying about you, then you couldn't do it in good conscience. And I'm saying that even in our pagan society today, I do not believe that people go out there and murder and lie and steal and commit adultery, etc., and do it in good conscience. I think they stand condemned of their own conscience. And the psychiatrists tell us that the, the number one factor in sending us to the mental houses is guilt. Uh, Wayne Dyer, in a book, Your Erroneous Zones, uh, his number one factor, so far as the problem for man psychologically, is his inability to handle his guilt. Well, the atheist point is, is very simple, and Wayne Dyer is not a believer. And that is that stop believing these things are wrong, then you won't feel guilty when you do it. If you don't believe it's wrong to commit adultery or to fornicate, then you won't feel guilty when you do it, and, and you'll be okay. But the problem is, they can't stop people from feeling guilt when they do it. They, they still feel it. So are you saying that you're saying there's two two possibilities or two realities to begin with? The person wouldn't have to be born in China. God knows his heart before he's even born. So you're saying that he maybe wouldn't respond to the gospel, whether he came in contact with it or not. Is that right? Well, and there's, there's several oh. things. And what you're saying that there's there's several possibilities that we just don't know. Right, on, on I'm that saying kind of thing. Right. That uh, number one is that I'm saying that through the evidence of the things that are, that motivates a seeking towards a, is there a God? Uh, why am I here? Etc. Et, et and then the conscience perceives the things of the law itself and causes guilt. And, and then that causes a, if you feel guilt and it's uncomfortable, you're seeking a release from that guilt. I'm saying that, that everybody is psychologically prepared for Jesus. There, that he may not know him, he hasn't heard, but he's psychologically, in other words, he perceives all these wrong things with his world. He perceives he's wrong. His marriage is not right. He's, he's having problems with his children. He's, he's having problems all over the place. He feels guilt. And so I'm saying he is seeking something to take care of that. He knows he's going to die. Okay. And everybody wonders, Does, do I have anything beyond? Well, then I'm saying that you have all the motivation to cause belief in God, recognition of the law, and a seeking. Well, here comes the good news. And, and the information is that there is there are people that believe that this fellow lived a perfect life and died and was raised from the grave. Well, maybe it's a maybe it's a fiction story, but I think if you're in that condition and you're seeking, you at least want to hear it out if you if you've got the opportunity. And I think on the God, 
makes the promise from a providential standpoint. A good passage is Romans 8, verse 28. God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become heirs of eternal life. Whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. If God be with us, who can be against us? And so he says that God has perfect foreknowledge. And through his perfect foreknowledge, he knows those individuals that will respond and desire to love him. And therefore, he predetermines to work things out for their good. Okay. Now, you know, in Bible that says, you know, nobody can inherit uh, or go into the kingdom of God without accepting Christ. And that particular person wouldn't know anything about Christ. You're saying that he will be uh, ready to accept Christ. Okay. Well, I'm not saying he has to. I'm saying that God has, God has done everything to cause him to seek and to be psychologically prepared. But there's reasons why he would not be interested also. And that gets, in fact, that would get us off another thing on the thing with sin. Sin has something to offer or we wouldn't engage in. Uh, are you saying that? Sin offers immediate gratification of a, of a lot of things. And it offers some things that are pleasant for a period of time. Okay, let me make it simple. Okay, if, 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 we, if we are just determining if we'll inherit a, a eternal life or not, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's the right question or not, but do you, would you please say anything about it? If we will or not? I mean, that's what, oh, there's, that's there's what I want to know. There's still this guy who doesn't know about Jesus. What the, about him? Secret things belong to God. The things revealed belong to man. We know that as Christians, we've got a responsibility to proclaim this message. We know that everybody that hears it has a responsibility, number one, to seek it, and number two, to be honest with the information itself. We know that. All right. If this person exists, you know, that you postulated, if he exists, then I, I believe my best course is to leave him uh, in the hands of God. And, and really, there's a lot there. What about the baby that has not grown up to accountability? He's eight or nine years of age, and, and, and he dies, you see. And so, uh, and then the question becomes, does this person, I mean, the spirit is what's made in the image of God. God's the father of our spirit. Uh, does a spirit have another chance to come back? You see, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. In other words, that uh, did, did God... Uh, uh, in Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, he said, Jeremiah, before you were born, before you even come forth from the womb, that I called you and set you apart to be a prophet to the nations, that uh, he told Jeremiah that he placed him there at that particular time, knowing the type of person that he, that he was. And so when you get into our spirit as to the exact starting point of that, then, you know, that just, you know, all the it has information. It to be fair. To me, right. has to, God is fair and it's. Whatever happens is going to be 100% fair. And just like some of the songs we sing, I think are ludicrous. Like uh, uh, we've got this song, we're, we're over there in heaven, and here's this poor guy that's going to hell, and, he, and we're saying, he's singing, you never told me about him. And in the song, he's, he's in hell simply because we did not tell him about Jesus. And so we were so unconcerned and apathetic that, that we didn't tell him, but yet we're over in heaven because we were lucky enough to get the right information and he's there. And so that conditions his salvation uh, on living next door to a, to a faithful Christian. And I said, I don't buy that, that uh, God is in control and God is sovereign. And I believe that God uses us to get his will. And when God used Paul, he used the apostles, he's used chosen people all through the centuries. Uh, Joseph didn't understand what was happening to him most of his life, and finally he realized that God had his hand in the picture. And I think that when you get into the area that God actually plays, we just know that God is doing 
but he hasn't explained to us the how. We just we just know that he's there and that you know that he's doing. Uh, when, when we pray for God's providential care, what are you really praying for? You see, and then well, the Bible tells you about the angels and their part, but then you have the word of the Bible that you believe because of evidence, but you haven't seen the angels. And yet the Bible says the angels are ministering spirits for those of us that will inherit salvation. Well, what part, you know, what are they doing right now, though? Uh, I don't, you know, we, we can only speculate on that. But I think on that question, Wasim, that, that we can say for sure that God is, God is just, and it's God's desire that everybody live eternally, and that we know that whatever happens on that situation would be exactly exactly right. Some of the things that you posted are just possibilities, right? Right. Of uh, whether or not he would obey and, and whether maybe right. their conscience they have the... Well, where is that verse that you, you mentioned a while ago about God winked at the, it, their ignorance? Acts 17. And that's that's talking about the, the Gentiles? Uh -huh. the, he's preaching a sermon at Athens on Mars Hill. And he's talking about idolatry and introducing them to the true God. And he said, in times of ignorance, God, in other words, he didn't wink over their rejecting God, period. They, those people believed in God. But by looking at the, the world, you come to believe there is a God. You don't know anything about his character. You don't know how many there is. Mm -hmm. And so those things that they could not ascertain through their own intelligence, God winked over their ignorance. But now he didn't wink over that kind of ignorance in the Jews because he had revealed himself to them and he condemned them for the same thing. So we see that the Jew was held accountable in a more stricter way than the Gentile relative to God because he had more information. Uh, in John 15, verse 22, he said, If I had not come among you and done these things, then you would have an excuse for your sin. But because you have seen, there is no excuse. Uh, in 1524, he said, if, if I had not done the miracles among you that I've done, then there would be an excuse for your unbelief. But there is no excuse. So you see in those statements by Jesus that he was holding them accountable in keeping with the information that they had. Well, in those verses, you see the justice of God, you know, and that, and that it's, it's pronounced that he is just and that he's not required of these people what wouldn't be reasonable to require. Right. And I think in, in this day and time, you know, God doesn't change. I think he's going to be just in, in those situations. We may not be able to figure out exactly all the mechanics of it, but... But we do. We've got verses here that show us that he is just and that he handles the, he's handled those situations in the past. And I think we can just... And I think we can keep in mind, too, that we've already settled the evidence for the existence of God. We can The evidence for the inspiration of the Bible, the evidence for the resurrection. We've looked at the verses like on this thing. And then when we post something that we don't have maybe as much information as we'd like, that really doesn't do anything other than it's a curiosity Adam for us, you know, that, uh, and, and we can, we just know that God does it, you know, um, in our own physical world, I don't understand everything about the car I drive, and, and, and yet I buy, but there's many parts that I cannot, the TV, which one of us would like to explain exactly how that TV works, and that, and that that picture of a ball game in Los Angeles is taking place on there, and how that puts it all together, and all. Uh, I can't do it, you know. Uh, I can't explain the simplest cell of life that God has created, but I know it's there and I can describe it, but I can't explain it. In the same vein, I think that, you know, that like we can't explain a multitude of things that we can describe, that we can see that, but we do know, and I think what you can always present on something like that, Wasim, is that God is perfectly just and fair, and every verse we have 
is that he, God expects what a man has, not what he has not. There was the widow that gave a mite and, and, was, and, said, and said that she gave more than people who gave an abundance because she gave out of her poverty. Um, the, every example of information in the Bible is that God expect out, expected out of people in direct proportion to their ability to have the information and all. Yeah, I was thinking at the time when uh, Martin mentioned when he did even the thief on the cross, I think a lot of people make a mistake. He was on the cross and Jesus said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He obviously knew his heart and he was repenting. Right. And a lot of people will say, you know, well, he must have been baptized before or he must have whatever. No, have and I don't either. think that has to be. I right. think that God required of him sure. what he could do at that sure. point. And That's just like, in fact, I believe just what she said on baptism. Everybody I've ever taught, taught them to be immersed. But to, to put yourself in the place of God and say that if there's some unique situation that that person couldn't obey that, that he repented or, and, and believed, uh, to me would be, and a good example he gives us is the thief on the cross, that God, God knows the heart. But I think that is a good one. Everybody that Jesus taught was baptized. Everybody that John the Baptist taught was baptized. But the thief on the cross, there's no way he could be baptized. And he, he was saved. He was saved. Kind of left what you started to begin with. Why doesn't God destroy evil? What you basically was saying is that if He did that, there would be no glory to God. You're saying there could well, not be. We would just be wrong. I'm saying that God is not the author of evil in any sense. Right. And that it only comes about because of man's sin, and that we can stop it anytime we want to quit sinning. Right. And God just allows us to suffer the consequence and to see that his law is inherently right and to reap the benefits if we repent. And by the same token, if he did destroy evil and just made us do right, there would be no glory to him. We would just be like Romans, right? And if you didn't suffer the consequence of doing wrong, it wouldn't, what would be the proof that it was wrong in the first place? If he destroyed evil, there would be any people around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you really can't destroy evil, you'd have the people cause evil. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You, think, up stretch a little bit? you think God uh you think God sends punishment on people directly for uh, I believe God has always taught uh, before Moses and during Moses and and in the New Testament for Christians to marry Christians, for believers to marry believers. Uh, before the flood, you read that the the sons of God began to intermarry with the daughters of men and because of the uh, physical attractiveness there. And the next thing you know, the whole world is in sin and God is destroyed. When God sent them into the land of Canaan, he told them not to intermarry, and he told them the reason why. And how that, obviously, if you marry this woman, it's not a believer in God, she's going to have your children and bring that, she's going to be the one who influences and brings that child up. Uh, later on, in Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians said a believer should not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. He says, what does righteousness have in common with unrighteousness? What does belief have in common with unbelief? Again, in context, I don't believe he's talking specifically about marriage here. He's talking about a whole situation of alliances, but the principle, I don't know of any relationship that's closer than marriage. But again, I'm saying that, that if a person is a Christian and is not yet married to desire a Christian mate, is obviously in keeping with God's will. And I believe he can pray and, and know without any doubt in his mind uh, that God can providentially uh, handle that, that situation. And as a parent, uh, you've got a direct command from God to bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And I think to pray to God, 
for the wisdom, for the opportunities, and whatever it takes uh, so that you might bring your child up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Obviously, that's in keeping with God's will also. Uh, if somebody is not a Christian uh, that's in your family, uh, God's not going to zap him. Any, uh, they pray all they want to about God zapping him and making him a Christian some mysterious way. He's not going to do it. But what it is, when keeping with God's will, uh, it's part of God's will to be patient. Uh, Peter said that God is uh, long-suffering, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I think that if you've got somebody in your family or whoever that you're trying to reach and you honestly feel for that person to pray for God's continual patience with that individual, uh, that they might continue to have opportunities and all that something like that is, you know, in, in keeping with God's will. And of course, we just go on and on, but to suffice it to say that anything that God commands us to do is his will. And, and so that any prayer that's in keeping with what God has asked us to do. Uh, another thing to note, too, and I think that, uh, remember he said to ask for our daily bread. Uh, turn over to Psalms 37. I was thinking of this uh, tonight as uh, we watch the news and something that's on the news all the time anymore is the homeless. You know, and I'm concerned about the homeless. But what bothers me is in this affluent society they, they never tell you why those people are homeless. They just tell you they're homeless and they try to make you feel guilty because they're homeless in some sense. Alright, look at this statement here in uh, uh, remember that we've already seen that uh, that you can ask your daily bread from God, and that in, the, in fact He goes on to say that uh, that seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And God knows that you have needs, and they were spoken of as having little faith because they wouldn't be confident of God's ability to provide for the necessities of life. Look at the statement that David makes here in verse 25: "I was young, and now I am old." Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed or their children begging bread. Oh, I'm young and I don't know how old David was then, but I'm 48. I have never seen a righteous person begging and don't believe that I ever will in the same sense that David did. Now, I'm not saying that we should not want to help anybody that is in need or anything. I mean, after all, Jesus said, if you're, a, if you're your enemy, uh, you know, is hungry, uh, give him something to eat or if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. But it does bother me that they convey the idea that through no fault of their own that these people are just laying around the streets up in New York and Washington and all. And I've been in New York and I've been in Washington, D.C. and I was raised right in the center of the city and was brought up in the center. And if you was to go in and, and get to know those people, you would find that with the vast, vast, vast majority, it's no accident that they're there. They're not godly people. They're not righteous people that are walking with their faith in God. You're not going to find those people there that you see in those pictures walking with their belief in God, respect for God's law, uh, asking and keeping with His will and doing things. You just simply, you're going to find people there that have messed up themselves through alcoholism. A big percentage of them are, are on drugs. You're going to find some of them that actually have college degrees and got involved in drugs or alcohol. You're going to find people that were very uh, poor family members. In other words, as a result of 
being a poor wife or a poor husband or a poor whatever, and, and some of them have messed up their relationships, uh, you might ask, well, where is the family of that person? And I think if you check it out, you find there's no accident the family don't want anything to do with that person. When you've got an individual out here by himself, and nobody in that family, I mean, uh, the statement was made by uh, Paul that we're to provide one for another, and he said if you don't provide for your own, that you've denied the faith and are worse than an infidel. In other words, even the unbelievers provide for their own. And I think when you find somebody out here that there's nobody in his family that even gives a flip about him, that's no accident. I think even in the world out there that of non-Christians, if, if you find a, a person that is actually trying to do right and has a need, he's got help. And I think that uh, what bothers me when they portray that, that's okay to you know try to help, but I think they ought to convey to our young people and to others that those people are suffering the consequence of a serious lifestyle. Then that can be used to maybe motivate some other people to think. Uh, groups like the Salvation Army, in my opinion, they do more damage than good. They just didn't, when you when somebody is going to uh, drink and carouse and smoke and and use drugs and not work and you just continue to feed them. Uh, Paul said, if a man won't work, then neither let him eat. Uh, let me uh, see if he's, I think he's just about to sum up. It's Brad. Are you about to sum up, or would you want him to call back in about 30 minutes? No, I'll go, I'll go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll sum up. Uh, uh, I'll talk to him Okay, he says no problem, call back in about 30 minutes. You understood that? Okay. Okay, yeah, he says that might be better. But, uh, Brad is a young man that we work with in the Northeast, and uh, he uh, preached. We, I work with him in a men's training class, and he's the one who replaced us preaching up there and got cancer and went through a long process, and now he's well and uh, doing very well and working and still very active in the church and all that. He's one of the most sincere you know, young men I think I've ever met. Okay, you talking I mean, about uh, changing, you know, people uh, homeless and that. That book that Barbara uh, gave me last week to read, there's an incident in there where they, the businessmen took the man out and gave him clothes and money and job and all that. And then after a couple of weeks, he just left all that and went back into Skid Row because he couldn't change his nature. And that's the way that, you know, a lot of these people, we, we just keep offering them stuff, but they don't. They still want to be right back where they were. We can't. Well, if you notice on the media, them. they never point out that anybody's there because. And when they another thing that uh, this was on the uh, uh, this national it used to be National Federation of Decency. They started to call it American Family Association. And one thing he points out about poverty there, they talk about 20% of the population being below the poverty line. He said it's no coincidence that. About 22% of our young ladies out there are giving birth outside of marriage. And the vast majority, I mean the real vast majority, of these people out there below the poverty line, you're talking about one-parent families. That uh, Obviously, if a young girl gets pregnant and has a child, uh, she's going to be in a poverty situation. And, that, uh, there's, and so that on the one hand, we talk about all the poverty in this country. And we, but he said, and he, of course he points out, that uh, the, neither Democrats or the Republicans are, are answering. It says the Democrats just want to make you feel guilty and have you keep throwing all the, the welfare and everything at them. 
the Republicans say just keep pumping up the economy and giving them jobs, but the problem is morality. That uh, their, their whole thing, that nobody is saying that uh, that situation exists. I shouldn't say not nobody, but I'm going to talk about the majority of politicians, but because of adultery and things like that. You could not be elected as a politician in our country if you come out and said that poverty is because of fornication and adultery and a lot of other wrong thing and drugs and drinking and things like that. I honestly do not believe in, in our country that there is any poverty whatsoever when you're dealing with righteous people who are trying to do right. And I've been in situations over the years in the church where there would be a person that uh, uh, maybe there was uh, some problems in the family or a sickness that was eating up all the finances or whatever it may be. But I have never known a situation where that a person had an honest need and they were a righteous person, but that if you could, you could petition the church and get the money for it. I don't, I don't think we've ever had a... When they had that flood uh, down at... Or the hurricane down at uh, Louisiana a few years back, well, churches from all over here sent just millions of dollars worth of food down there. Uh, in Ethiopia, they talked about the famine there. We sent more food over there than they could even handle. And we found out that the problem wasn't food. We, we were willing to send the food to them. The problem was the politics when we got over and actually getting that they were starving for political reasons and, and, being, and being used in that way. But really, that uh, it, it does bother me to see that. And, and just it's made to look like in some way that uh, you know, we're unkind. Those of us who live in a decent place and you have money and whatnot, that you're inconsiderate or insensitive or God doesn't care or something like that, when really that's just not the case at all. And I'm not going to pray for God to put food in the mouth of a person who refuses to work or conduct himself in a right way because I believe that you're praying for something that's contrary to the will of God. And, uh, and I think Paul makes that statement in Second Thessalonians. Anybody with any other comments on uh, prayer? There's a lot of other passages, obviously, that, uh, you know, with time that you're uh, limited on. But uh, I think one of the key things, as so far as the misuse of it today, is that, that thing according to God's will. And that's the difference. And just like uh, if somebody is sick, and uh, if I pray for an individual that's sick or they're, they're going to be operated on, that I pray for God's providential care. I, I pray that providentially that we, we have access to the very best doctor, that, uh, that everybody is alert and going to do their best job, and that, that all the information and everything available will be brought to bear on it. And then I also know that uh, by causing that person to think positive towards God, to believe in the will of God, that God's will is going to be accomplished and everything, that just thinking positive and trusting in God has all kinds of positive things it does. Uh, to your, whereas being nervous, uh, worrying, being doubtful, uh, I know all of that affects your body in a, very, in a very negative way. Being uptight or mad or anything of that nature affects your body in a negative way. So that the more spiritual that person can be, the more uh, spiritual you can cause him to think, the more you can do for his uh, faith, uh, then the more you're going to relax him, the more positive you're going to make him, and all of that, uh, God is working through that body that he's given him, and is designed to fight and to ward off diseases, and then I think that, you know, obviously that uh, the prayer for all the things that are beyond your control, but personally, I do not expect a miracle. Uh, I think that people a lot of times call it a miracle, when really it's 
providential and God working through the very natural things that are there. 